millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com Some exchange betting companies run short-lived promotions like months-long offers of low commission. At BetDAG, we wanted to change the way we did things, so we set our commission at 2% permanently. That's 2% on football, horse racing, golf, almost any sport. 2%. That's just one way that BetDAG is changing for the better. For the better, like you. BetDAG, the 2% commission exchange. Over 18s only, please gamble responsibly. Hello, Mum. Oh, oh, hi, Dad. Hi, yeah. Yeah, is Mum there? Oh, no, where is she? Okay, yeah, you know, it's not a big deal. Just just let her know. Yeah, I won't be home for tea. What? Why? Max Power. Oh, it's a lovely spin from Greg. He guarantees goals. He lives for goals. And now he's scoring goals in the red and white stripes of Sunderland. Sunderland are going to Wembley. Hello everyone and welcome back to the Roker Report where we have a mixed bag of recent events to recount on Tuesday night Sunderland booked up their half of Wembley by once again beating Bristol Rovers 2-0 to advance to the final of the EFL Trophy but it wasn't a perfect week of football as the lads found themselves lucky to scrape a last-ditch one-all draw against Wickham which would prove to be a pretty miserable day out at Adams Park for a number of different reasons the result not totally withstanding Joining me to talk about all the good and the bad, and there's plenty of both from this week, is Richard Menier from the Sunderland Echo. How are you doing, Richard? I am very well. How are you? Good stuff. Yeah, I'm, I'm all right. I'm all right. Good, good. You got to the game uh, at Wickham? Yes. Yeah, I was at both games this week. Yeah. Yeah, it was absolutely bonkers. Oh, yeah. Been a sure a pretty, pretty hectic yeah, week yeah, for, yeah, uh, for a, a, a Sunderland sports yeah, journalist, yeah, yeah. I'd imagine. Yeah, yeah. that's good. Well, joining Richard is our studio stalwart, Johnny Goldsmith. How are you? I'm all right, Alex. How are you doing? Uh, well, you know, I'm... I'm I'm okay, I'm okay. okay as far as things go, you know, it is what it is. And also Chris Cam, he's here. Welcome back. <laughs> he's also while. here. <laughs> yeah. Chris Cam is also present in the room. Yes, very barely. Before we get into the nitty gritty of the analytics, we'll give you a quick rundown of the games. So Sunderland faced a Bristol Rover side last Tuesday who were a lot more threatening than the side we faced a fortnight prior. The gas, as they're called for, I don't actually know why they're called that, but they are called that, were a lot more toxic, 
See what I did there? Uh. And then John McLaughlin <laughs> and his back line had to work hard to keep them out. And thankfully we did. Will Grigg got the lads first after receiving a great ball from Max Power, turning his man and finding the far corner. And Lewis Morgan got the second. The Wickham game wasn't nearly as fun a day out. Sunderland looked generally off the pace all over the field and were bullied by the home side virtually all afternoon. Wickham took the lead in the first half and looked pretty comfortable despite not getting the second, missing a fair few sitters in the in the process, but hey-ho, in the dying minutes of added time, a shot from Grant Ledbetter was uh, poorly parried into the path of the advancing Duncan Watmore, and he levelled the scoreline in what I believe was the 94th minute, and the Black Cats therefore clawed back a point. So... Let's have our three-word review, which were a very interesting um, uh, and eclectic mix this week. So, Ross Robson says, up then down. Paul Fletcher says, wasteful and distasteful. Like that, like the mm-hmm. rhyme. Very good. Have we ever had one that's rhymed before? I don't know if we have. No, but that's very good, though. Yeah, yeah. I, I like it. I like it. Sarah Purdy says, life's never dull. Simon Keyes says, power unlocks Grig. Joe Roberts says, sublime to ridiculous. Someone by the name of Har9741 says Checker Trade Cup Hangover. Gary Stevens says K Sarah Sarah. Martin Findlay says Playoffs Beckon. Dan Mond, I think that says, says Howey Draw Repeat. Probably my personal yeah. favourite. <laughs> yeah. Actually, wait, no, no. Trevor Slark says Wem Burley. <laughs> <There is. laughs> That's a good one. Fantastic. Yeah, the, the three syllable review. Big fan of that one. And actually, on a similar note, Stefan Spencer says Roll a Coaster. Your boy Jamie says Wickham are cheats. Dave Metcalf says good, bad, ugly. Ben says happy for Duncan. Macamino says still finish second. And James Atkinson says cheesy chips Mara. So, I think I've spoken enough now. Let's get into the first of the two games. We'll start on a brighter note with Bristol Rovers. Johnny? Yeah. You were at the game on Tuesday? I was, yeah. What did you make of it, the whole thing? That was a great experience yep. for um, being in the semi-final of, of a cup. Right. Um, going down to that stadium, obviously you guys were there, were there before. It was my first time ever going to that ground. And it's like, mm-hmm. wow, this is uh, this is League One yeah. standard, isn't it? It really oh, yeah. was. And uh, it was quite an interesting ground. I noticed there was a lot of fans who were in the stand where there wasn't um, a roof. Thankfully, I was on the one where there was a roof, so I was quite lucky. <laughs> I was actually only a few rows away from um, the second goal when they went to celebrate. You can see me in the in the crowd, like cheering like that. That was quite fun. Oh yeah, I think I saw that. Yeah, yeah. the game itself. I mean, obviously, well, first of all, the journey very long. Yeah, the game itself was good. Bristol Rovers did look a bit more threatening. I think John McLaughlin had a bit of uh, butter fingers. There was a couple of chances that uh, had anybody reacted to him dropping the ball, probably would have gone in, but uh, they didn't. Apart from those couple of chances in the first half, I think it was fairly um, fairly comfortable. Yeah. Um, Bristol Rovers were the second best team throughout the whole game, but they did have their few chances to have scored, and I was expecting to be two one perhaps. Uh, the second goal, I kind of I was walking up the steps while while everyone else was turned around looking at the goal, so I kind of missed the goal kind of. <laughs> But I saw them run over to celebrate next to me, so that was kind of like, okay, so scored, great, uh, good, good. So a good um, day out, all yeah, in all, yeah, yeah. fantastic, yeah. <laughs> long, very yeah, long, long, long but good, yeah. yeah. Well, as you said there, Bristol Rovers were the second best team, and I think I would agree with you. But contrary to the game we played with them a fortnight ago, I don't think they were second. I think they were second best by much more of a finer margin. I don't know what you made of that, Richard. Yeah, I think they changed the system for the cup game. I think they played a diamond in midfield, and they had a lot more of the ball. And first in the league game, it was just like they were just putting we there for the league game as well. They were just yeah. pumping balls forward, weren't they? The Sunderland defence, so it was quite easy to defend against. But um, yeah, I thought they 
we're a much better team for the semi-final. That said, I don't really remember too many more comfortable semi-finals. It didn't feel like Sonnen were in trouble too much throughout the game. Speak for yourself, I was on edge. Well, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I just thought getting those two goals either side of half-time would just, just kill them a little bit. And then even when they had a lot of the ball in possession later on, I didn't really feel that Sonnen were hugely under pressure. But um, but no, it was a cracking, a cracking night in the end. I think, as, as you say, we did have the better chances of the game. And yeah. we were ultimately the clinical side that, that won it. But getting the goals either side of the 45 yeah. was what, what ultimately made the difference. Yeah. And it was great to see Will Grigg get off the mark by doing so. It, it's really nice to see him get his first outfield goal. It's even better to see him have such like a stereotypically instinctive striker's goal. You know, yeah. you've, got, you've got, got to thank Max Power for it, really. Great pass to him from Grigg. Turns his man and then just finds the far corner. And, and yeah. He I made think it look easy, didn't he? He, he did, he did, yeah. yeah. And I think that, that probably gives you... That probably gives maybe for him as well yeah. and us quite a quite a big psychological advantage because while we while he did score the penalty yeah. we were waiting for that outfield goal we were waiting for that striker's goal from him yeah yeah massively yeah it's a monkey it's another monkey off his back in it it was quite bizarre actually when I saw that because um, at that ground they didn't announce anyone who scored so like I thought um, because he didn't celebrate either he scored the goal and he didn't celebrate yeah, so I was thinking hang on is it he, he, he does something. like when he scored against City in the FA Cup in that famous Wigan win he actually just stands there and doesn't actually do anything and then he gets like, mobbed by his teammates. I quite like yeah. it, me. I, quite, yeah. I, I like the sort of just, yeah. just reserved to, nature of it. Yeah. It's the Balotelli yeah. one, isn't it? It's my job. Like, does the male one deliver yeah. when he uh, celebrate when he delivers his post? <laughs> yeah. <No. Yeah. laughs> uh, it was good stuff. He's done that turn twice now as well. That one in the box where he collects it and he, that amazing little spin just to leave his defender in the dust but he missed the first one mm. and it was almost an easier chance than when he missed than the one he scored. So... Yeah, it was against Accrington Stanley, wasn't it? Yeah. When he just sort of flicked it past his man and then had a shot, but the keeper mm. got off his line to parry it. Either way, it's just great to see him finally get it because Absolutely. I think it, it was it, it it probably feels like a long time coming, but it's bound to when you spend four million on a striker that's just hailed as this sort of messiah of League One. If you want, yeah, if you want I don't know what like Griggs feeling himself personally. Like I'm sure I'm, he might feel the weight of the price tag, and he might not even care. He might have literally just been like, "Oh well, I haven't scored for a few games, but it's fine. I'm just not had a chance. We've yeah. not been playing well. Whatever." He literally might even be bothered. Mm-hmm. Like people always say, like, "Oh, it's a confidence boosting goal." Like, what if he's not even a confidence type of player? He'll yeah. just keep going. He, no. he knows he'll score 15 a season. Mm-hmm. He's not bothered. He said as much. Ross said, and he Ross has said as much as well, isn't he? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that around the academy, he said he's. He's not, he's not arrogant, but he's so confident in his mm-hmm. ability that he didn't have any concerns about him. And I think, yeah, I mean, yesterday, he'd, we'll come on to Wickham, obviously, but he didn't have a sniff yesterday because there wasn't much service and wasn't probably a lot of movement from him up front. But um, I think between now and then the season, I think you'll, you'll probably see another five goals or something. Uh, I'd, I'd imagine so. Greg. And I think as well, as you say, that there is like a, there is a, a certain air of confidence to him that mm. I don't think at all really borders on arrogance, but yeah. I think that's probably by the by. In, the, in his post-match interview, he at one point did just say yeah I mean that's what I'm here to do I score goals yeah. that, that's just something I do so I think he's very just sort of aware that he's got the ability there and it, for him it was always going to be a matter of time I think when you've got a striker that's that good mm. at this standard you know you, you're, not, you're, not, you're never going to flop you're never going to yeah. maybe just get the penalty and that'll be it it would never be that disastrous yeah. I think it's you know as is the nature of a Sunderland fan you know we like to catastrophize situations if Greg doesn't get off the mark straight away we're going to be terrified that it's going to be a 4 million flop and you know, both signed Danny Gray and Mark too, but no, no, it, it really came off from. But as I've said, one of the, the the crucial aspect of that goal was the assist from Max Power. Now that's obviously a dynamic that they've shared before 
while playing for the same team. They were, this, they were a partnership at Wigan to an extent. But is, there, is that something there that could potentially help Grigg further along? Could Max Power unlock Grigg's potential, Chris? Possibly. Um, I mean, I, I get the, obviously the connection obviously you used to be at Wigan. I don't know if it's because they used to play at Wigan together or more that Power's just better at finding those passes. Mm-hmm. He's, he's tried it a few times all season. I know um, one game at Co- the Coven Coventry... Um, away stuck in sticks in my mind because he came on off the bench and when we were sort of lacking a bit of impetus and drive and he kept playing those guided balls into the box on for the like for Madger at the time of the run on to and made a difference he's, he's he does that type of ball Ledbetter mm-hmm. is capable of making that type of pass but he plays too deep to make yeah. it Honeyman doesn't have the quality to make that pass um McGeady is out wide Morgan might be able to do it if he played a little more centrally Maguire is the guy who you'd look to, to do that if Catamol and the others aren't actually making those passes then power has to go in by default because you've got a striker there who plays a certain way needs the ball played in the feet needs mm-hmm. that positive um, distribution <clears throat> if you've got a team of midfielders and the only one capable of making that pass is stood in front of your back four then power needs to come in just to make that change so yes yeah. <laughs> that's mm-hmm. the question but I'm not sure if it's because of the Wigan link more just the player that power is yeah it might just be Max Power maybe maybe they wouldn't have needed uh, a, like a history playing with each other yeah, at all I don't think so to speak I, I mean and perhaps it is because Power understands the, the way he plays and knows to play those balls and stuff, yeah. but mm-hmm. then you t- how, how much can you possibly learn about Greg like everybody knows what his game is yeah. like just read his scouting report yeah. even, you know, it, it's, I know it's different when you're on the pitch and knowing like you know might be certain ways about the way he times his run or the exact details that yeah. you pick up in time but there's nothing wrong with I've got no problem with watching a midfielder pass a ball through the defence and lose it and give it away as long as they've tried to do it, trying to do it yeah. I'd much rather see I've, them do that than turn around and give it back I think you've seen an improvement in power in the last couple of weeks because I think the red cards did affect him I think it did affect his game Definitely, I think he yeah. went, went within his shell a little bit and he wasn't trying stuff that he maybe used to uh, and then of course he lost his place didn't he so but I think from his sub appearances and against Bristol and stuff I think you've started to see maybe a little bit more of what what the thought they were getting with Max Power but um who, do you, who would you drop? I'm not sure you can mm. take Catamol out of the team. I mean, mm-hmm. especially the way Ross is going to be relying on him and running. I think Catamol would probably have to come out at some point just because he would need to come out. I think while it's a tired argument to say, you know, he's, he is getting on and I think injuries are catching up with him. And I think while he does, he, you know, he, he does prove me wrong when I say his legs have gone, but I think to a certain extent I am right. I, mm. I think it, he, he is tiring and I, he can't play on a consistent basis like he, w- he would have been able to do five years ago. But, but Barnsley would be interesting because they're, ma- they're having to manage his ankle problem, aren't they? Because he, he was never going to play against Bristol in the Cup because of his ankle injury. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, it would be interesting with him playing twice in 48 hours whether Power gets the nod ahead of Catamol or he Well, Honeyman's not in the team either, isn't he? So yeah. he could play all three of them. Yeah, he could do. Yeah. Yeah. And sort of change the way we play slightly to... Because <clears throat> you think Barnsley as well, you might not want to play the same approach as usual because they're a much better outfit. Yeah, yeah. So it might be more beneficial to have a player who can go box to box in there. Well, so you're talking about a player like Catamol there who has got a history of getting injuries. Um, Ledbetter seems to be the kind of player who seems to have an engine on him. He's, he's I, don't know, I, I don't really know um, of a long-term injury that he's ever had. I can't remember one. Well, he, he, didn't play, he hadn't played a game. I had he even played a minute all season until he signed for us at Borough? Uh, it was minimum. Oh, yeah, I can't remember the exact, the exact figures. It but was it, insignificant, it wasn't, a lot. wasn't it? Yeah, because yeah, was... he had half a dozen midfielders ahead of him. So his fitness, to be able to come in, yeah. sign on, was it deadline day he signed on as well? No, no, we'll day? sign Ledbetter about midway through. Oh, right, okay, well, come in mid-January and then hit the ground running that quickly and play, I think, most of every game so far. Pretty much, He's yeah. come off yeah. from yeah, a yeah. a couple of times and yeah. I think that's it. Yeah. 
That's incredible. I can't I'll believe I'll it. Usually impressed by Leopard. Yeah. 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 I mean, you can you see his qualities there for all to see, but it's the fact he's actually. It's not. He's not just keeping up with the game. He's bossing every game that he Absolutely. plays. Absolutely. For League One, he's a Rolls Royce of a defensive midfielder. For me, on Tuesday night, he was man of the match quite easily. Yeah. Everything he did was just <clears throat> was just on the nose. Every pass was perfect, and he just made it look so easy. He would just he'd, he'd take a touch, he'd be under relative pressure, and he'd just find the pass like it was nothing. Yeah. There was just you know everything he did was right. Every tackle was timed perfectly. You know it was like a, it looked like a training exercise for him. But I think that's maybe to an extent. <clears throat> Something we should probably expect with him, perhaps. I mean, he's, yeah, he's, he's played. Be yeah, I mean, he he's a championship he's, player, isn't he? Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. And he's yeah. had a, he's had a, you know, he's had a very sort of clean fitness record his whole mm. career. He's always played on a consistent basis for the clubs he's played for, and he's never played at this lower standard. So I think we should probably expect that he always was going to be a class above in League One. And you know, it's it's a really astute signing, and you know, everything about it is just great. It's a really, really solid recruitment. Potentially the best signing. Will have made all season, but I mean, it's the fact he, he came in and he automatically went to the team. Yeah, and there's no way he, he's, he's after one or two games he was undroppable. First name on the team sheet type player. Yeah, yeah. completely. Without Absolutely. Just gone from a corner as well. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, as I've mentioned, he was my man of the match. Was he your man of the match, Johnny, or do you have anyone uh, else you would I'm nominate? Got a controversial opinion potentially. Uh, Jimmy Dunn. What? Hmm. Uh, <laughs> hmm. I thought from uh, he made a couple of mistakes as he tends to, but. I don't know, I thought he oh. had a solid performance overall. <laughs> and I was quite happy with how he played. I mean, someone like Ledbetter, as you say, you couldn't expect it, but someone like Dunn, I don't know, you don't seem to expect him to be solid. So I'm guessing for, for this game, for me, I thought he was one of the best players on the pitch, but it was hard to pick one. Really. I think it was a game where we were all, all the players were pretty much average. It was like, <laughs> no one stood out especially. It was just a very good performance, I yeah. thought. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's fine, I've got a problem with that. You don't want to have like one player... Yeah. Needing a carrier. I think they were very solid. And I'd like yeah. to thank uh, Johnny Goldsmith there for his farewell performance on the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Shamelessly stealing that joke from Jeff Stelling. But yeah. What? <laughs> yeah. what? Oh, the amount of negative response I'm going to get. Oh, uh, yeah. I mean, to say, it was such a solid performance from just about everybody. It's hard to pick, for me, it was hard to pick one person out. Um, as uh, you've already mentioned. I think in, in the games where you can't pick one particular player, Ledbetter wins man of match by default because he's just mm-hmm. better than everyone else. He is. <laughs> in Johnny's defence, I thought Dunn and Flanagan did, did quite well against Bristol Rovers. Yeah. yeah, I thought it was one of their oh, better, yeah. better defensive. But I mean, yeah. But then, of course, we also yesterday's car crash. But um, <laughs> but yeah, I thought against Bristol Rovers, I thought that was probably one of their better games to mm-hmm. I think physically, mm-hmm. Dunn and Flanagan look very capable in this yeah. division I, I think, think, I think, I think well. they can handle their the sort of the other team's target man-esque yeah. strikers very well yeah. what worries me is their composure I think if they're under pressure from the repeated fire of teams going on the attack more then they just seem to brick it a bit to, to put it bluntly they, they, look seem to, like... they, they just seem to get sort of quite stressed by mm. the, the amount of pressure they suddenly have to take in those mm. spells where teams come more into the game they always look like they've got a mistake in them, but yeah. worse than that, they look like they think they have a mistake in them as well. Mm. I think that's what I see them. Yeah, they, they sort of they're not yeah. totally confident in themselves yet. I, like, I guess ultimately, why you know it's, it's a League One team, isn't it? It's a League One team full of League One players aside from the likes of McGeady and, and Ledbetter, and you're going to get that inconsistency. I guess you'll get done having a run of two or three games and getting an international call up, and then yesterday you had a you had a poor game. Really poor. Well, it's funny how you mentioned that. I've literally just got through on the Twitter notifications there a question about Jimmy Dunn that it might be worth asking. Uh, James Lawson's just got in touch and said, "Should Jimmy Dunn ever play for Sunderland again? He's not our player. <laughs> he's not good at football, and he's clear weak link." 
Oh. I mean, I think we've gone from one extreme to the other there. Well, to be fair, though, before Jimmy Dunn came in, um, it was Baldwin and Flanagan, won it? And then it was Baldwin and Dunn. And then Baldwin had two absolutely horrible games and got dropped quite rightly. And now it's like, well, has he... Can you? I don't know. I think Oztech was close to getting a recall because he was doing really well in training. Ross was saying he'd be on the bench for a couple of games when Baldwin was fit, but Baldwin wasn't anywhere near the squad. Um, but then Baldwin, uh, sorry, Oztech picked up, I think, was it a groin injury last mm. week? So he missed the, uh, and then he missed the Bristol Rovers game. So I think Oztech might actually have a chance. He might have played playing. Bristol. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Right. So then perhaps that means that Alan Oztech wasn't obviously not picked for the Bristol Rovers game due to Ross prioritising what he would consider his best team uh, well no, I know sorry I think Oztech would have certainly been on the bench against Bristol Rovers right. whether he would have played or not I don't know okay. but um, now they've obviously got Flanagan with his head injury yesterday then he probably would have had a shot for Barnsley but I think he's going to have to probably play Baldwin mm. yeah it would, it would <clears> seem you it just would... hear Alex's heart break there yeah you can if you listen really closely yeah, there's, there's the sound of a tiny little plane of glass shattering <laughs> So that's what it sounds like, yeah. No, I mean, I, I, it, it's a tricky one, really, I think, with the defenders because we are rotating them quite a lot now and I'm never a massive fan of that in teams. I think if you're rotating a certain position too often because of bad form, it, it's a lose-lose situation because obviously you have to rotate them if they're not playing well on a consistent basis because you can't really afford the risk of them making the continued mistakes. It's like but, the goalkeepers last season. Yeah, but at the same time, by rotating them, I think you you breed an element of uncertainty in the team, and especially I think that I think nowhere is it more profound than than your centre backs, because if you don't have a solid, consistent centre back partnership, then I think that's when you're most prone to issues like miscommunication, you know, daft mistakes, maybe not being entirely sure where the bloke on your left is all the time, mm. and I think when you've got players like Flanagan, Baldwin, Dunn, who are quite sort of who look quite unsure of themselves already, if they're struggling to sort of Get determines where their centre back partner is, then that's potentially where a lot of problems can come from. I think we saw that quite a lot against Ackerman and Stanley. I think Paul Smith had the lives. I don't think they really knew how to deal with them. And I think perhaps, you know, there was that uncertainty in themselves, which was reflected by the person next to them. And we saw it again, saw it again against Wickham when they just came, kept coming at us and they knew that they were struggling to contain them. Mm. You know, a goal would be inevitable, but could we perhaps? Use some experience at the back somehow. I think Baldwin's probably the answer if you're looking for that because I don't think either Flanagan or Dunn are in a position to be that commanding centre half who tells yeah. everyone and orders the back line and really has control mm. over them. But how old is Baldwin though? Is, is he really in experience? Six, I believe. I uh, yeah, yeah. I, I think Ross has mentioned a couple of times that he's quite young and experienced, but he, in reality, he's not. You know, he's he used to captain, play for Hartlepool United mm. when he was 19, and that was oh, I don't know, seven, five, six years ago. Since been right. at Peterborough, had a bad accident. And then obviously now he's at uh, bad injury, sorry. And now he's at Sunderland. So I, I don't think he's ex- inexperienced, Bolton. Mm. I don't think no. I think he's, of the centre halves <clears throat> we've got, he's the only one you can really say, like, oh, well, he has to sort of be the commander <laughs> if you're going to stick him in there. Because yeah. Dunn's only young. Flanagan's not a centre back. <laughs> like, well, he hasn't been until this season. So it's sort of asking him, like, he's learned the position. Great. Now it's like, learn the position mm. so well that you can tell other people how to do their position as well it's yeah. like it's a it's a tricky one and it's it's difficult for Jack Ross because like you mentioned like dropping and changing for form you want to be changing your back line when you need to and then the player who comes in knows that well I need to perform here otherwise when this guy recovers from his injury or whatever I lose my space but at the moment it's like well I'm only getting into the team because I'm not as bad as this guy Yeah, and that's the trouble and there's not a lot Jack Ross can really do about that because it's like mm. well 
do you let the two lads who are struggling continue to struggle until they get better and get that confidence back and risk losing a few games when you've only got a handful left? Or do you try and bring Baldwin back in and hope that he's not... Yeah, it's, really it's a real dilemma. It is, because they've... And that's on the back of two clean sheets as well against Plymouth and Bristol Rovers when they looked reasonably settled, well-organised, solid back four. And then mm-hmm. yesterday it just looked back to... How much of our performance yesterday though was down to Wickham and their, the way they played? Yeah, the, they took Alec, the control Alexander of the game. Alexander was a constant pest there, yeah. their striker. Mm-hmm. They couldn't handle him up front. Yeah. <clears throat> we'll talk in a bit about just, um, just how we feel about Wickham's sort of general philosophy when they play... Mm. a game of football against other teams I'm personally uh, the opposite of a fan of it you know I'm really not into it at all but just for the time being let's come back to that whole thing I said earlier about Ross not picking his biggest team for the Checker Trade Trophy now John McLaughlin played in goal against Bristol Rovers and while he kept a clean sheet I don't think he had the best performance of his life could Robin Reuter have done just as good a job do we think Uh, he could have done and he's proven that I guess in the checker trade so far he played the previous six rounds hasn't he but I, I think Ross was at this stage of the season I think Ross was right to play the strongest team possible mm-hmm. that he could for that game to try and keep a bit of momentum um, within the team um, obviously Cat Moll had a, this ongoing ankle injury which means he can't play a huge amount of games consecutively um, Reese James I think had a groin injury didn't he so if those two were fit, I think they would have played as well. So I don't think he would have actually changed his team at all no. for that Bristol Rovers game. No. Mm. Um, so I, yeah, personally, I think he was right to, to go with the team that he that he played. And yeah, it was harsh on Robin Wright, but you know, John McLaughlin's been probably one of the signs of the season. He's been excellent so far. So, um, I think if that's and you certainly approach, start with him at Wembley. Oh yeah, definitely. Um, now now that he started yeah. against Rovers, there's no, there's no excuse yeah. to not play him at Wembley. He has yeah. to now. It was a tricky one. I mean, we spoke about this last week. It was sort of a. It was a debate with two camps. Obviously, on one hand, you had the people saying that sentiment's got no place in football. Your strongest 11 starts if you want to take a competition seriously mm-hmm. versus those who were saying, while the likes of Reuter and Ersturk aren't, aren't you're the first names on your team sheet under mm-hmm. normal circumstances, they do deserve to continue starting because they got us this far. Mm-hmm. I mean, similar to how players like Willie Caballero from Man City was the keeper who played in the final when we played them at, in 2014. I guess, like... With that being said, if 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 uh, McLaughlin plays in the Czech Church Trophy final, do you reckon that could be the last time we've seen uh, Reuter play for us? In Potentially, yeah? yeah, yeah, I suspect so. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think with um, the picking aside with the Czech Trade Trophy, the early rounds up until the quarter final, they're a lower priority because the prize is another game in the Czech Trade Trophy. Mm-hmm. Whereas the semi final is the prizes at Wembley, so yeah. the priority is different. So mm-hmm. you can afford to rest players and rotate because it will. At the end of the day, if we get knocked out in the quarter final, yeah. Bleh. Whereas when it's a semi final and it's right there and you're so close, then yeah, you I know you, you you go for it because it's an important game. Yeah, yeah. I, I like how well that noise <clears throat> represented exactly what you meant. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I think if you had forty thousand Sunderland fans at Wembley, they would be disappointed if you didn't play your strongest team. I think so. Yeah. yeah. And now, just on, sorry, just on right. I think did he sign a two year deal? I think two year deal it was yeah. two. Yeah, so he's out of oh, contract this summer. Um, okay. I think. Um, it would be an I'd be, option. I'd be surprised. Yeah, I'd be surprised if uh, if they offer him a new deal. You've got to imagine they'll have somebody else. Yeah, there's Max Dragic as well. You know, he's quite mm-hmm. well thought of. He's out of contract as well. They're trying to pin him down to a new deal. But yeah, mm-hmm. need another Donald podcast to figure out what uh, contracts are going in and out because I've oh, exactly. lost track of them. Like, yeah, I think in the case of Ryder, I don't think he'll fancy signing a contract with the knowledge that he's more than likely going to stay as number two. 
unless anything <sighs> disastrous happens to John McLaughlin. In you don't the, know, do you? I mean, he's, in the near future. He might have his family settled. If yeah. There might well, be enough money from his family to live very comfortably for the next few years. He might do it. Mm-hmm. I don't know. It's whether or not someone would offer him it, to be fair. Like, well, perhaps. Yeah. I, I do know that he spoke in, I don't know the name of the magazine, but it was like a, it was like a, a Dutch football magazine. And he spoke about how he's got no regrets coming to Sunderland because he always wanted to, to play in England. Always looked up to Edwin van der Sar when he was a, when he was a young lad. You know, stuff of the like. He's almost as good. Yeah, yeah, almost um, in the in the grand scheme of things, you know, if 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 the worst is, you know, uh, I, I, I don't know what I'm getting at, but yeah, poor Robin. I, I, poor, I like poor, Robin, poor Robin. I think he's been, he's been solid tired, tired by last season. Yeah, he? Mm-hmm. he had a couple of. I think if you added up all of Roy's performances, he only really had two where he was costly. Yeah, I, yeah, I, I mean, think, there like, was just going off very vague memory of it. But there was only really Millwall, wasn't there? Made the exact same howler twice. Yeah, but I mean, in fairness to him, he's, he's as I say, he's done well in the Czech trade and he's certainly yes. played a part in Sunderland getting to, mm-hmm. to Wembley. So. Definitely, yeah. I think if I was going to make a prediction on where Reuter will end up, I'd imagine he'll probably go to another club in England. I think if he's if his family are here and he is settling and he mm. and he does, you know, and his and his one ambition as a foot, his main ambition as a footballer is to play in England. I think there's probably a number of of, uh, of League One clubs. That would have them. I mean, Lee Camp's still playing Championship football. Well, there you go. Yeah, yeah. the mind boggles. Yeah. <laughs> hey, he looked good today in the in the second City derby. He's, he's looked decent when I've seen him. He got him. He got him one of the in one of the teams of the month not too long ago. Uh, don't get. It. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Imagine if Borough don't get promoted, he might end up there. That is that. That would be unreal. Yeah. That would be yeah. ridiculous. Yeah. Can replace Dimmy. That sounds like a really good game to play. Like just pick random teams that odd players will end up at next season. <laughs> yeah, honestly, we should do a whole pod. We would just do that, like because there's just so many cliches you can get there. Do like a, where's like a, Cameron Jerome like going to go next? Sunderland <laughs> <laughs> probably. Yeah, has Darren hey. Bent got a club yet? No, Darren Bent. He must be on someone's list somewhere. No, I don't think he does. Because he just does the odd sky every now and then, doesn't he? He like, does. Uh, he does. Yeah, yeah. It's like Kieran Richardson doesn't have a club either. Oh, bring him oh. home. B H H. I was I was really hoping we'd go in for Bardsley, but then he started playing for Burnley, and he was just like, ah, that's it, that's <laughs> yeah. that then. <laughs> yeah. Honestly, Chris, if we could like sort of condense your contribution at this pod so far, it'd be like a series of noises, pretty much, like different <laughs> different exclamations that you've made to like <laughs> signify different weird things that are happening with the club. But anyway, just before we move on to focusing more or less solely on Wickham. Let's just talk about this final that's coming up. The Checker Trade <gasps> Trophy, the EFL Trophy at Wembley against against promotion rivals Portsmouth. Thanks for that, Chris. <laughs> Another noise. Yeah. <laughs> I'd imagine when, we, when, this is, when this is up tomorrow, Monday, whenever it is, it, it, it'll probably not sound as weird, but like watching you make that noise is <laughs> bizarre. But anyway, yeah, we're in a cup final. We're understandably very happy about it. Obviously, it's not quite the FA Cup or, or the... The Capital Don't World Cup it. in 2014, but it's a day out in Wembley regardless. <laughs> <laughs> how just how much does this tournament mean to you? It's basically the World Cup. Yeah. Um, so <laughs> like, yeah. if you took we'll the World Cup and the Champions League and they had like a baby, it, it would be the greatest ever competition it in the would, world, the most the, significant mm-hmm. trophy. It would be the, the EFL trophy sponsored by Checker Trade. That is what it would be. Yeah, oh my god, just imagine like. You, you sat there and it's like a brilliant sunny day and then some random music comes on and then Lee Catamore walks out and he's clapping and everyone's like guns wild. Oh my God. Yeah. <laughs> hey, it, it'll it'll be a good deal. Covent Garden with George Honeyman because he's not yeah. playing. Bless him. Right, exactly. <laughs> oh yeah, he'll be in the crowd, won't he? Yeah. 
to be fair, that, that, that's not that's not even. You'll like, not get a ticket. That's not a bad. <laughs> <laughs> oh dear. You'll have no points or anything. No, <laughs> no, that's that's exactly. Yeah, that's exactly. Yeah, he's squarely in phase four, isn't he, Honeyman? Yeah, where's his Walsall ticket? I, I get right, exactly. Where's your Walsall ticket, Honeyman? <laughs> but yeah, what, what do you reckon, Johnny? If if ten is is the best possible tournament final in football and one is a game that you couldn't care less about where does this checker trade trophy final rank for you 11 right yeah. good answer yeah, <laughs> yeah great <laughs> um yeah. do you want my serious answer or my you know just funny answer like well which one was that that was, so, that was like, obviously yeah. a serious answer well for, <laughs> for me i look at it and think like you know it's 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 a great it's great to be in a final of course. But one of the things is, I think, because it's Czech Trade Trophy, I don't want to sound controversial, it's like one of them things where I feel like Sunderland fans won't be as heartbroken if we somehow didn't win. <laughs> couldn't in comparison care. to couldn't the care less. I could yeah. not care less if we win or lose. I genuinely, I'm yeah, not for me, bothered I'm at thinking, all. For me, it's like, I don't think it matters if you win or lose. It's a day out at Wembley <laughs> with you, with the team you love, and you're going to see Sunderland at Wembley regardless of the result. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know? I know, um, like, Rich, a couple of the like other journalists I've spoken to cover Sunderland have always mm-hmm. said, like, watching them walk out at the Carabao Cup final, even if they were, like, you know, Newcastle fans as a child or whatever, it's like yeah. got a little stern of emotion for them. Mm-hmm. Will the Checker Trade Trophy do that, do you reckon? <laughs> I reckon it might just a little bit, you know. I reckon it will. I reckon I reckon we can make all the jokes we want now, but I reckon on the day we'll feel it. Uh, yeah, I think on the day you'll, you'll partially forget it is the, che- the yeah. Checker Trade Trophy and that is just a cup final at when we see 40,000 Sunderland fans, I think right. it'll... It'll be quite a special day, I think. It will, it will. When when Jackie Ross's red and white wizards <clears> are lumbering out into what could very well be a, a more or less full Wembley, yeah, I think it'll be unreal. It'll be the second time in about two months' time when we get the playoff final. But uh, yeah, uh, yeah, this will be the first of the two times this season we'll lose <laughs> to Portsmouth at Wembley. At Wembley yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it isn't that often that players reach Wembley finals, is it? So I yeah, think it's yeah. there will be a huge buzz in the squad. I think absolutely. In terms of where you grade it, probably a four. Honestly, in the grand three scheme, three or a four. I don't think you know. Is, if you say if, if they lose it, they've lost the Czech Trade Trophy. Yeah, I don't think too many players uh-huh. would, would mourn that particularly. I, but the thing is, if we win, people won't remember. Oh, do you remember when we won the Czech Trade Trophy? Yeah, be oh, do you remember when we went to Wembley? That's pretty much it, isn't it? it it's it's a all the draw of it, isn't it? Being a good day out, I think. But it is a funny one. I think the Czech Trade Trophy. I think if it was the old money Johnston's Pain Trophy, it'd have a bit more value because I'd have sort of had a bit had a bit more. It's the name. Yeah. You've issue with the name. Check it's check. not the name. It's it's the way they've changed it around. I yeah, think that yeah. the Johnston's Pain Trophy just like seemed like a lot more of a dignified tournament to me because it was yeah. right, okay, the League 1 and 2 teams go at it, okay, you know, we all know that these are the, the, the bottom two divisions in the echelon of professional English football. But at the end of the day, a, a, it, it's it's a trophy. You know, it's secondary to, to the FA Cup and yeah. trophies of the like, but it's a trophy nonetheless. That one for me would be a guaranteed 6 or 7 out of 10 day out kind of a thing a very a very sort of George Honeyman good or bad day out <laughs> would probably have but it, it's a funny one now because it's still a good this is a good day out for me against Portsmouth you know it's a good trophy I'm looking forward to it I think it will be quite tense on the day because this is as good as the Checker Trade Trophy can possibly be you know you've, you've got two yeah, you've got that's two true. good teams two good League One <clears> teams from with two well supported fan bases oh you the know, organisers will be over the moon oh absolutely yeah. completely yeah but if you had Sunderland against Man City under 21s I couldn't care less because yeah, yeah. the whole uh, day yeah, would just seem really patronising yeah. oh well done Sunderland you're in the final <laughs> now you can play our kids you know it's, there's, there's nothing to it like yeah there you can have there, go on Sunderland on you go yeah we've got a little Marcus up front yeah he's just passed his GCSEs mm. there's nothing to it like yeah. that would be absolutely awful but 
No, no. Well, I'm, yeah, pleased, I'm sounds... pleased we brushed aside three under 21 sides because I just feel yeah. like think... we did our bit to purify the competition. Yeah, we, you know we did. Yeah, we, we, had, we actually had the privilege of knocking out the final youth team in the tournament because in the quarter yeah, it was only yeah. Man City's kids we, that, left. that was people's reaction when we, when they got, we drew Man City it was yeah. like oh I can't believe we drew them I was like no no this is a privilege and an honour that, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. that the EFL have yeah. decided that we should yeah. be the team yeah. <laughs> it's also as far as trophies go it's actually like a really nice trophy like it looks nice <laughs> aesthetically you know what I'm going yeah, to think of the whole trophy I can't picture nice. it so I'm going to google it I mean Sunderland have taken it seriously at all season haven't the Jack Ross has the players have and I think the fans have as well really because some of the attendances have been pretty decent at the stadium like considering the teams you're playing whereas I think the Portsmouth fans were, have been boycotting it in the main the competition and now obviously now they're at the final they all want it to mm. so. oh, suddenly they want to go so, yeah, mm. yeah. they wouldn't get one because they haven't been buying them well, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> some exchange betting companies run short lived promotions like months long offers of low commission. At BetDag, we wanted to change the way we did things, so we set our commission at 2% permanently. That's 2% on football, horse racing, golf, almost any sport. 2%. That's just one way that BetDag is changing for the better. For the better. Like you. BetDag, the 2% commission exchange. Over 18s only, please gamble responsibly. Right, so I now have the Checker Trade trophy on my laptop screen in front of me. And it, I, can, I can confirm, Johnny was right. It's a very nice looking trophy. It's got a very, I mean, I mean, obviously the the, the silvery sheen, which is consistent across all trophies, is there. So, what have, all, I, what yeah, have I created? Yeah. So, uh, I mean, the, the, the baseline expectations book. have been met. You know, what I'd like to then go on to um, commend for this this craftsmanship is the way that the vase is sort of shaped. You know, you've got sort of like an arching pattern going outward, and then there's a nice sort of rounded cup at the top if you were to pour a drink into this you could drink it very very comfortably <laughs> ergonomically this is a good trophy it's it's practical you know if you need it to be and it, it, it would be very easy to hold obviously the the base is quite thin so when when Alan Turk clasps his his hand around this and hoists it into the air while screaming exclamations of joy while the 40,000 lads watch on it'll be It'll be a tremendous, it'll be a tremendous feat, and I'm very glad we have such a nice-looking trophy to do. <laughs> so yeah, that's my review of the Checker Trade Trophy. Thank you very much. Someone, will drop, it. Someone will drop it. Like uh, what was his name? The, the Real Madrid, uh, Sergio Ramos dropped it. Yeah, it'll be like that. Yeah, oh, some absolute. Books. Yeah, who's our biggest like dunderhead who'd drop a trophy? Do you Jimmy Dunn. Jimmy Dunn will drop the trophy. <laughs> yeah, he? yeah, he'll, he'll, yeah. he'll drop it, and he's a big lad. He'll drop it on like Brian Oviedo, and then like I don't hang on, I don't dislike Jimmy Dunn. Like I've like. I just he he has he's like a bit of a scare sometimes. Yeah. So he get the ball gets near him. That's he, all. He looks a bit heavy-handed. You know. Then, yeah. you know, Jack Ross will become. It'll be under the same uh, banner as Alan Pardew for winning that trophy. Oh yeah. You know the pre- <laughs> prestigious names. You know, such as hey, all, all the greats have won that trophy. Yes. Even Alan Pardew. Mm-hmm. But yeah. So let's just before we move on to Wickham, let's just have a little whip round now. So, so Rich, you gave that a three or four out of ten for went, hype. Yeah, I'll go with four. I four, four out of ten yeah. for hype. Yeah. So you're not expecting much. In terms of you know excitement for the day, Chris out of ten. I think I've made answer. my opinions fairly clear. Serious yeah. answer. I genuinely think it's like a ten. Right. I just can't wait. Class, <laughs> Johnny. What are we saying? I'm going to go for a George Honeyman. I'm going to go for a, a six, six or a seven. Yeah, yeah, because there's, there's there's good George Honeyman and there's bad George Honeyman, which is only ever six or seven. Yes, so yeah. I'm going to go for the slightly more towards the six. I, yeah. I reckon the day itself might be an eight. But I reckon the trophy generally mm-hmm. is a fault. The competition. Yeah. The competition's a fault. Yeah, I mean, the competition is a, a joke as long as the 21s are in it. Well, like, yeah. like, we'll no bones about day. that. Yeah, we'll yeah, it's, an, it's, an, it's an awful patronising excuse for the, <clears throat> yeah. the elite teams to give the kids a run out in a more convenient way. And yeah. I despise that. But thankfully, <laughs> we have two League One teams that are both of a good standard. It's probably going to sell out. 
you know, uh, Portsmouth. Yeah. Don't think of it as the, the the final. Think of it as Swindon versus Portsmouth at Pompey for <laughs> yeah, the yeah. most pointless bragging yeah. rights ever. But it'd be meant. Think of what could very very easily be the playoff final warm up. Everything considered, I'm going to give this one a seven. So, <laughs> so yeah. long as James Vaughan doesn't score the winner, or can he actually play oh, in this? Oh God. Yeah, God, I didn't even yeah, think about that. Can. He's, well, he can't be cup tied because he played for Wigan, who wouldn't have been eligible mm, for yeah, this trophy. Yeah. The, oh, yeah, God. Is the league game as well at the stadium? I like to come as well. Oh, crikey. Imagine that. Oh, oh, no. Right, I think yeah. it'd be hilarious if he, just, if he, if he was benched and he didn't even play. Right, well, we're now going to move on from thing. this topic because I don't think about that anymore. So, let's talk about <laughs> Wigan away then. A pretty terrible game by all accounts, but <laughs> thankfully it didn't transpire into our third loss of the season. So, you made it down there, Richard. I'm right in thinking. Yeah. Good yeah. stuff. Yeah. What did you make of it? Uh, it was it was mad, really. It was. I mean, for for the first half, Sunderland were, were pretty dire. They were pretty atrocious. It was probably the worst performance, or certainly on a par this season, that they've played. Um, they were bullied. Um, they were out-battled in midfield. I didn't think Ledbetter and Catmull had much of a control in midfield, um, which then meant Dunn and Flanagan had a lot of work to do, and Samuel was a constant pest throughout and his movement caused them a lot of problems done probably especially um, the goal itself I think is, came as, as, as a result of that um, but this Sunderland team doesn't you know it's got a lot of character and does have a lot of resilience in it don't think it fully knows when it's beaten no. so they have to have a huge amount of credit for getting mm-hmm. a point out of the game when really they didn't deserve anything out of that but um, not at all I thought what was it? finish was excellent. Um, Ledbetter obviously with a shot, um, just a bit of a pot shot from distance, and, and it was nice to see the Wickham keeper mess up after all of his time wasting antics throughout the game. Um, but Wickham themselves, if I was a season ticket holder at Wickham at Adams Park, I would be asking for my money back. I think at the end of the season because it is completely it is um, anti football is probably a bit strong, but mm-hmm. um, but there was a lot of time wasting. There was quite a lot of diving. Um, and it was, I think, I mean, Ross didn't think it was overly physical. Well, that's at least what he said publicly, but I, th- I thought it was, yeah. Mm-hmm. I thought the challenge on Watmore especially was, nah, uh, was a straight Horrendous. It's an interesting one because it's like, well... And then, sorry, the last 10 minutes was just absolutely mad. <laughs> and all hell broke loose. It's like, um, it's a good, a good point come the end of the season. It's away from home and you got a point. That's, yeah. that's, there's nothing wrong with that. But the performance itself, how much of it was us being off the boil, how much of it was Wickham, the way they played, like, it's you know, I don't want to I don't want to slate Wickham too much because that's the way they chose to play. It's on us to handle it and process it. I know they were overly physical, and the reason Jack Ross said they weren't like oh well, I don't think they were that overly physical. It's because at the end of the day, it's up to us as a like as a team or as a player, mm-hmm. like Honeyman yeah, yeah. for example. You've just got to you literally just have to take it and and rise above it, and it's really really difficult to do it. And I could never do that. You know, I would have I would have seen red far before like the last oh. ten minutes, but. You've just got to do that, and I think there was only a couple of characters in our squad who were capable of, of sort of taking it on the chin and keeping going. And that was Ledbetter and Catamol. Mm-hmm. And you could see when it was all kicking off um, for Honeyman's Red, Catamol was furious with yeah. the Sunderland players. He wasn't angry at anyone at Wickham. He, you know, he had a go at a few Wickham players, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. But he About was him. he was more upset with the likes of Max Power coming over and and getting involved. Has Sterling got involved? He, he was he was just telling people to go. He was waving people yeah. back towards the bench. He was like, "Why this jeopardize that moment could have potentially jeopardized our entire season." I think what was most disappointing was everyone knew how Wickham were going to play. They know how Wickham play because exactly Gareth Ainsworth tells you. Did, yeah, <laughs> exactly. They did exactly the same up here. Um, he went uh, on Plymouth TV Boss. and told us, didn't he? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Plymouth boss uh, Derek Adams he slated Wickham when they played there early in the season. So, so yeah, they, you know, it's no surprise how Wickham play, and as you say rightly, that um, Sunderland should have handled it better. Mm-hmm. 
I think um, sure. there's one Portsmouth fan um, sent us a sent us a tweet afterwards. Right. After we were all complaining about the uh, the way Wickham played, and Portsmouth just went, "Yeah, welcome to Wickham. Um, <laughs> this is what this, uh, yeah, this is what we've been suffering for the last few years." <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, I thought who's their manager? Gareth Ainsworth. Gareth Ainsworth, former player, yeah, he used awful. to play for Wickham as well. He was he was a bit of a he was a bit of a shit house when he played them as well. Okay, Chris. Oh, he, he get that in the swear box. It's easy to say, but afterwards, but he did have a lot of nice things to say about the Summon mm. support, Jack Ross in particular. But as I say, I bet he's if they'd have, have got beat 3 0, I'm sure he wouldn't have said that. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it's a shame that you've just used that profanity, Chris. I've just had a fire, Johnny. Now you're gone. It's it's just me and Rich in this room now. <laughs> you know, it's it's awful. It's awful. It's Wickham's fault they brought the worst. It out. is, it is, it is. Wickham have brought in the, the worst of the despotic natures that I'm capable of but no on, on a serious note Speaking I think worse weren't they, oh, weren't they bottom of the form table as well going into this game yeah, yeah, they, they, were, yeah. they were yeah I think yeah. I think they lost four in the bounce oh, it doesn't yeah. form table doesn't matter against us no, like it really every, doesn't. every single team like Barnsley will be were great form we played them we embarrassed them like Akron scored in six games had they before yeah, yeah. Uh, and then the, the what the, the is it the second team this season to put two past us to Stadium of Light mm. uh, yeah <laughs> mental but yeah I think it was a, it was a tricky one because on one hand I've I've got a lot of a, a lot of time for being irate at the way Wickham set up. I think Gareth Ainsworth's brand of football is only a brand of football in the loosest sense of the word. I think the entire game plan was based around you know how many times can we elbow their players until they start kicking off us and so we can get them sent off. You know everything they, they did everything they could just to like draw the worst out of our players and eventually they did get the scrap at the end. You know mm. well done them, fantastic. At the end of the day, we've got a point. But on the one hand, you have Wickham, Wickham's and Gareth Ainsworth's fairly horrendous philosophy and approach to football. And on the other, I think we were off the boil. I think, we're, you know, irrespective of how they set up, I don't think we deserved anything at all from that game. No, no, no. They looked very, very comfortable for the entirety. And right at the end, th- 93rd minute, Grant Ledbetter just has a shot from outside the box. Keeper should, should gather it, doesn't. What more's quickest there? You know, surprise, surprise with that pace, and they put in the back of the net, and and that's it. Really, that was the only time all game. I think, I think we looked even. Rem- was the first shot on target? Oh no! We, well, did we have one before? I can't remember. I think McGeady had like does one he corner, not count. Yeah, <laughs> McGeady had one from like outside the box <laughs> early on. A long on. time to get a shot on target, though. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was the only meaningful shot on target yeah. all game, and it was right at the end, and they scored with it. I mean, it, it's it's great. It's great, really. It's great having that attitude. We, we might be having off days, but. Regardless, um, the, the mentality of this team is night and day to the team from last season. Yeah. If that was us last season now with mm-hmm. that mentality, we would have lost 4-0 yeah. because they would, have just, they would have gone behind, mm-hmm. would have stayed behind, they would have just crumbled under under Wickham's bullying and they would have just lost uh, in, by some embarrassing margin. But that's not who we are now. It's, it, it's, it's great to see how different we look. Could anyone argue at all that there's any reason why we deserve that point? Or are we all in agreement that we don't deserve that point? Uh, I thought it was lucky. I thought they were lucky yeah. to get a point, but mm-hmm. I don't think Wickham deserved anything from it either. Like if both teams could take zero points out of that game, that would probably be the <laughs> fairest yeah, outcome. Yeah. To be fair, Wickham, um, they won every second ball. Yeah, they ran, they ran a lot. They did run the balls off. Um, mm-hmm. They put Sun under a lot of pressure throughout, and I think they played to their strengths. So I, yeah, I thought Wickham probably deserved the win. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think even despite their uh, school degree. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I mean, I mean, as you say, yeah. Skullduggery of the highest order, but <laughs> that aside, they were the better team. When, yeah. when when they did want to play actual football, they played actual football better than we played actual football. So that that's that's <laughs> it, that's it for me, really. I think 
I think one nil was a fair result. You know, a, a, a scrappy, yeah. pretty awful game. But hey, they were the better team. We're very lucky to be coming away with our scoring run intact and our only two losses intact. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I mean that that's great. But yeah, anyway, let's talk a bit about George Honeyman now, and more specifically, let's talk about his temperament on the touchline because there's a lot that comes from that now with the Fleetwood game rearranged he'll now miss Wembley and as a result he misses that game which as we've almost all agreed is a huge fixture down at Wembley (laughs) but also he misses Barnsley so with George Honeyman he has to come out now for three games three very big games who comes in for him in that position both positionally and as a captain let's go to you Johnny okay Uh, position wise I mean I I suppose if you can play if Catamol's around to play, then you'd play him, Power and Ledbetter. I know I've said it for a long time that I'd rather not have Catamol and Power in the same team, but mm-hmm. I'm not sure what choice you have at this moment, really. No. You know, without Honeyman there. So maybe having Ledbetter alongside them both might result in different, um, might be a bit different for them, like play all right, but I think that's the only choice you've got. If you want to go for three midfielders, then you probably have to uh, have Power, Catamol, mm-hmm. and Lebeter. And I would have Lebeter as captain as well. Definitely. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, I don't want the captain bit, I don't think really matters. I think it's just more a symbol. Like, you've got powerful leaders in that team who are going to do, who are going to lead the mm-hmm. team anyway, whether or not they're wearing the captain's armband. Catamol's still going to talk to the referee and shout at the, uh, the players whether or not he's wearing that armband. So I don't think it really matters too much. Uh, see, I, I, to be honest, Chris, I couldn't disagree more. I think the, 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 the presence a captain can offer in a team is absolutely <coughs> instrumental. Uh, it was. It was so crucial in the Wickham game, especially when the fights were breaking out. Like when, well, not like the fights weren't breaking out on the pitch, but when, when that lad got sent off in the, what in like the ninety seventh minute, or when it, whenever it was the the seventh minute of added time, when we think only four were planned normally or whatever, but whatever it was, led led impact there where you just basically yeah. shout at the players and got them all to calm down I think you absolutely need that. You need someone who's just going to rise above, who's just going to pull rank on the, on the rest of them and just go right no. You're not kicking off. You're not shouting. You're going to calm down, and we're going to see this game out. But my argument is, he doesn't need an armband to do that. He'll just do that anyway because that's right. the type of player he is. Mm. He's a natural leader. Catamol mm. and Ledbit are the two of them. Mm-hmm. You know, they'll defer to each other. If, you know, they'll not both be doing the same thing at the same time. But either mm. of them can do it. I don't think it. Like for Ross, it's a matter of well. I, I would be speaking mm. to them both, saying, "Listen, I need you both to mm-hmm. take care of this team. One of you wears the armband, but I want both of you to do the job." Basically, the issue is though for me is that okay. I'm not going to blame. I personally don't blame Honeyman at all for the way he reacted on the touchline. I think the, the what, things had obviously been said. He's, he's not overly malicious to the player. He gives him a shove. He's seen red. We've all been there. It happens. Heat of the moment. In retrospect, he'll obviously regret it. But if he's your captain, he's the one wearing the armband, and he's booting off. That's a that's a signal that for the players, for them to join the fray, to come yeah, to his defence. Yeah, very but young, if, wasn't it? If Ledbetter at the same time is stood off, he's stood with Akin Fenway just nudging shoulders to sort of like trying to, trying to calm the whole thing down, then what's the issue there? You know, you've got one, you've got your captain who's kicking off and you've got a player who emulates the captain who's trying to calm things down. I think that is when you need a captain to be just the sole authority figure for that what I said before, just to pull rank, just to say, right, we're doing yeah. this now, so you're going to have to do it. That's going to rest with Jack Ross, isn't it? Because I think mm-hmm. Honeyman's let his team down there. Oh, uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, massively. massively yeah. What he was, you uh, can't react like that. He, just, he, he steps out of his dugout. Yeah. Just, what are you thinking? Mm-hmm. He, just, he walks past the fourth official to go yeah. and do it. It's just like... Cause the, the final will obviously take, you know, the, the headlines, because Honeyman's going to miss the final. Mm-hmm. Captain of the team and stuff. Um, but, you know, the three league games are arguably more 
Paramount Park for Sunderland this season, and he's going to be I missing, so. missing mm-hmm. from those three. And Honeyman has a lot of critics. He mm-hmm. does divide he does. supporters, probably in this room. But um, <laughs> well, well, he, well, he does bring something. Yeah. <laughs> so it's yeah. I, I would be I would be so disappointed if I was Jack Ross. Yeah. Like he's mm-hmm. you watch the clip back and you see Ross was just stood stood there watching. Mm. And people mm-hmm. are going, he's so plastic, he's so boring. Like, you're telling me for one second he wasn't absolutely furious. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And watching on, like just because he wasn't doing anything doesn't mean he wasn't absolutely no. livid. If Honeyman could stand there, not make any emotion, but be angry on the inside, be then we would be in a much yeah. better position right yeah. now. Yeah. yeah, Jack Ross is extremely measured. And <clears throat> if, if you're arguing that he's not shown passion by not getting involved in a scrap, then... It seems yeah, very out of character for Honeyman. Like, I've never seen him do that. Oh, that. no, no. He's, I, I, he's, a, he's a, bit of a bit of a rage, Honeyman. I mean, he's, he's in a... Been, in a, in a, in a Positive way, I suppose. But he's dealt with the the way other teams have sort of confronted us and kicked us all season quite well this, so far. But mm-hmm. obviously that Wigan game was just exceptional, wasn't it? The way well, they, it was, they yeah. The way the last ten minutes panned out. Yeah. Um, Captain Wise led bit for me for sure. I'd absolutely give him the armband for Barnsley. Mm-hmm. Um, selection wise, interesting. Isn't it? So I think there are options for Ross. Um, if you want to keep the same system, then I guess Gooch would be the obvious one to potentially yeah. come in. Do you play him as number 10 or do you just put McGeady or Morgan, Morgan there instead? That would be one option. Um, second, possibly Luke 9 oh, yeah. A lot of fan midfield. vote, I think. Yeah. It would be, yeah. But then you're then going to have to make at least two changes to your defence because if Flanagan is out mm-hmm. with concussion, um, then you're changing the right back as well. Reese James went off. Um, I mean, he didn't have a good first half, James. Uh, we didn't clarify whether he was injured or not, to be honest with you. But he was struggling with a groin injury in the Beforehand, so you could actually be you could be changing three plays in your defence. Mm-hmm. Then, so Ross might be. Um, I think the other part not as well. so keen on changing yeah. nine as a result. And you might need Matthews at left back anyway. Exactly, yeah. And then the other option, I guess, which was mentioned earlier, is to to play Max Power mm-hmm. um, and possibly change your midfield system. Mm-hmm. I think. I, I think one of the other. Oh, sorry, but one one other thing is it's uh, Don McGeoch, somebody as well. Uh, I think someone like McGeoch is like I, I don't know. I'd like to see him get given a chance, but I don't know why he never gets. Picked. He should really, he should really be led by his position. Like if yeah. you bring him a Georg in, you're asking him to play as an attacking midfielder, which is not what he's. He could, he, he could do it. I'm sure he'd be very good, but it's, will he be good enough against Barnsley to do that? I don't think so. I, I, he's, it's, it's not a position he's played before. I wouldn't throw him in for that on nah. his, for a first time in a competitive fixture in such a crucial game there was far far more at stake in that game than there is for the Checker Trade Trophy final that three points you get against Barnsley that's what puts you back in a position where you can overtake them if you lose that then you, you'll, you, I don't think you'll ever catch them because yeah. they're, a, they're, a, they're a very good team it's very difficult yeah, yeah. Well, when I saw them play against Southend when, the, when they went they went down to 10 men before they'd even scored and they went on to win 3-0 mm. and Southend I think are a very average team for this division I think they're around mid-table yeah they're alright but, but Either way, I, I don't know how confident I'd be that if we went down to ten men, that we're going to win a game by mm. such a convincing scoreline. I think there's a lot to be worried about with this Barnsley team, and it's a tricky one. It's a tricky one. I think, I think I, we can't we can't play McGeoch there as, as much as I wanted to get his chance because he does deserve it. There's just not room for him at the moment. There's, there's no we're so oversaturated with quality in the midfield that we just can't stick him anywhere mm. for now. I think Power does pick himself. We we, we can't unsettle the defence even more by bringing all nine there. And yeah. he's, he's been great at right back anyway. Yeah, I, I think I, I he's, he's played himself out of the chance to play in midfield. Yeah, yeah I'd agree. Nine, I would agree. I, I would. I would. I think he will probably pick either Gooch or mm-hmm. Power. He's he's inadvertently made himself a full a, a fullback really, hasn't he? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Gooch is an interesting one because he's he's been all right since he's come off the bench last few games. He sort mm-hmm. of he definitely did have a slump yeah. and he stopped being as aggressive and his runs weren't the same. He didn't dribble mm-hmm. as well mm-hmm. or 
pass the ball as well. He's got a point to prove, yeah. Yeah, I think he's picked it up and Mm -hmm. if he shows the right attitude in training then why not give him the chance? Mm -hmm. We don't, that's the bit we always, as fans, we never see what he's like in training. I think the likes of Gooch and McGeady function best as wingers just because of the the, the main attributes they bring to a team and I think especially with Gooch he works best off the bench against I mean I mean, okay I've said it a million times he works best against knackered league one fullbacks <laughs> because not only have they not really got the skill to, to maintain him anyway yeah, but, <laughs> yeah. but yeah I, I just I just think that the the the, the, the max power just makes the most sense I, I, I can't see I can see Ross picking power it's I, also I, I, the I, opposition as well isn't it Barnsley. would you change the system then would you not obviously you wouldn't play would you play you wouldn't play power as a 10 would you a bit deeper I would play Catamol and power either just side four, of lead bitter and but tell them do not go to get the ball off the centre halves. <laughs> like yeah. just don't do that. Mm-hmm. It's away at Barnsley, so they're gonna have a lot of possession. So we are gonna need mm-hmm. a couple of them dropping deep at times. Yeah. That's gonna be a necessity. Mm-hmm. But then you also need like because mm-hmm. you've got I mean Power and Ledbetter are both in the team, that's you've got plenty of potential to hit a team on the counter, especially mm-hmm. if you've got pace mm-hmm. on the wings. So I, I, I like that mm. choice because I mean it's a bit more negative, but you're playing against a much better team away from home, so that's sort of the the natural choice, isn't it? It's it's yeah. what you would instinctively go yeah. for, wouldn't it? Go a bit more defensive. <clears throat> yeah. Well, let's think a bit now about our defenders. We've not really spoke too much about them in the context of the Wickham game, but I think we're we're gonna all pretty much agree that the likes of um, Flanagan, Dunn, and James, injury notwithstanding, didn't have a particularly good game. That was probably for me the worst defensive performance of the season. So, in light of that, I've just taken we've taken to Twitter with the quick question of the week, just to ask. What, who people think are our best and our worst defenders and the reasons why for that just so we can have a little an, have a little analysis of where the problems may be so James Atkinson says and there are to be fair quite a lot of varied answers on this James Atkinson says a match fit Adam Matthews is probably my shout for best he was mint early parts of the season but you know now I've got 0-9 so I don't care direct quote fair enough as for worst <laughs> he says all our centre-halves are our worst they all look terrified of the ball and just aren't physical enough Aidan says best Tom Flanagan and Alan Oztürk. I don't know if he just forgot to put worst in there, but I'm going to assume he didn't. So he's saying that our best partnerships Flanagan and Oztürk because yeah, same, <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> Apart from the, the Flanagan bit, just just Oztürk by himself. Oztürk and Oztürk. Oz Oz and Turk. Oh God, I imagine the slowest centre half pairing you'll ever yeah. seen. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The, the other option, sorry, for Barnsley because Hume played 23s on Friday night. He did. He could throw Hume at left back and move Matthews to right back and move 09 further forward. But again, you're making three changes to your defence. Yeah. So I think you'd asking be very, a lot I of Hume be, as well. But yeah, I think you'd be loath to do that. Yeah, I'm excited to see Hume come back in though for the last few games. Mm-hmm. He, he looked yeah. very good when he was in. Uh, very pacey. Yeah. Did look very good. Yeah. He's got that Danny Rose esque ability. Sorry, tangent. But yeah. he's got that Danny Rose esque ability to pick the ball up and just run and end up in their half and in a crossing position, mm. which is is always really really exciting. I it don't does. think we've had a player who can do that since Rose. Mm. Yeah, that sort of mazy run thing he does, which mm-hmm. I like. Yeah. Well, James Lawson says 9 is our best defender, even though he wasn't good against Wickham, and our worst is probably Ozturk. You've had an awful day, you Jimmy. Really, really <laughs> bad day. <laughs> Going to have some serious words with you in that group chat later on. But yeah, so Mark Stewart says, I don't like defenders being erratic, so for him, Baldwin's the worst, as he's in consistently 7 out of 10 enough. Ability-wise, he likes him, but he's got a bomb-scare moment in him, and it probably explains him only playing at League One level previously. So what do we make of those so far, Johnny? Are there any opinions that resonate with you particularly, or do you have anything there that you disagree with quite well, strongly? Well, so Jimmy doesn't like Dunn, and he doesn't like Alamos Tech, so I'm guessing that it's going to have to always be 
uh, Flanagan and Baldwin as the centre halves. Yeah, it seemed that. Well, hey, yeah. well, Glenn Lubin's. Oh, Glenn, oh, you know, I completely forgot he exists. Uh, I can do he, that. He's, uh, he's uh, the worst centre half of the club. It's uh, <laughs> it's not his fault. He's old. It's the Ronald Shea thing. But it's um, he's not our now. <laughs> For me, it, I feel like the best two centre halves we have is uh, Dunn and Flanagan. I, I mean, sorry, Baldwin and Flanagan. But I don't really know. Really, I don't think that tells you how good they are. It just tells you how bad the other ones are. I'd probably, yeah. I'd probably say Baldwin. I know he's he's form tailed off and he's been dropped rightly. But if you if you take all of our defenders at their peaks this season, Baldwin's peak was a little higher than everybody else's. I think. Mm-hmm. What do you think, Rich? Yeah, I'd probably agree with that. The only thing I'd say about Baldwin, Baldwin is I, I think he's he is prone to errors more than yeah more than others. Yeah. Um, but Baldwin is more comfortable bringing it out from the back. He does have mm-hmm. probably a bit more of a goal threat, and he's a bit more positionally um, all action. Isn't he? Yeah, I, yeah. I do like Baldwin because he gives gives it his absolute. I think everything. It's but, weird because I would consider his. I would have considered his strengths, his positioning, and his timing in the tackle. Yeah. But then I think one of the reasons he got dropped was because he uh, messed yeah, up a bit yeah, of uh, timing yeah. and positioning. Yeah, uh, I, I think, quite like Flanagan, but mm-hmm. uh, probably done. I guess would be the maybe not maybe not worst, but least best. <laughs> I think that's fair. Is that, is that fair <laughs> yeah. enough? It's very political yeah. of you. They have, they, have, they have much of a muchness, though, isn't it? I think mm-hmm. that's part of the issue that Ross is going to have. Yeah. Um, I mean, yeah, I, yeah, I probably agree that mm-hmm. out of the five of them, Leuven's is probably fifth. But that's probably got more to do with his age. And, yeah. The thing thing else. I don't want to be too harsh on him. And Oztech, like, well. not seen a huge amount of him aside from the Czech trade. And that's against poor, generally poor Playing against kids. Yeah. And Morecambe. And Mo- kids and Morecambe. That's who we're playing against. <laughs> and Carlisle. And Carlisle, kids, Morgan and Carlisle, <laughs> not not the best crop of opposition to sort of to sort of use as a barometer. But look, I mean, it, it it's tricky. It's tricky. I think. I think what you see is right, Richard. You know, I, I don't think any of these players are the worst in the sense that they're terrible, awful players. And I, I know I'm ashamed of the club for signing them. I think it is a case that some of them are the worst. Are, are, the, are the worst of being the best out of the bunch. We've we've got a good crop of players. We've only lost two games all season, and we've kept a good number of clean sheets recently. There's there's a, there's a lot of good that can be said. I think Jimmy Dunn for me would probably be the one I'd be least inclined to start, irrespective of Glenn Leuven's being you know old. I would choose Dunn over Leuven's. Oh, definitely, definitely. Um, he's, he's got more legs. He's, he's a he's a physical threat from corners. I think that's been a big mm-hmm. big component. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He, he he has looked decent, but for him, I think it's just experience. He, he does look very raw, and I think he would benefit from just having someone to assure him more often. And that's Maybe why the Flanagan like, thing's a problem for me because Flanagan's not as experienced yeah, a centre half as you'd like him to be. He's not. Flanagan has a lot of attributes as well, like Dunn, that are very good. But for that same issue, he can look a bit timid when he doesn't. When teams are coming at them and they don't quite know what they're dealing with they don't quite know what they're up against or maybe they're a bit unsure of how frequently they can take these offensives as they are it's it's a hard one I think for me my favourite defender is probably Baldwin I think while he has got a mistake in him and he is a bit erratic he's our best ball playing defender can be a bit too ambitious but he's got a very strong tackle he can, he can pick a pass for me well normally yeah. <laughs> it's the thing about someone like Flanagan I've seen yeah. too often Flanagan will just like hoof the ball forward and then there's nobody at the other end he'll just like I know I understand getting it away but mm-hmm. at least have the ball targeted to somebody I've seen so many times where he just hoofs it forward there's nobody there and somebody from the opposition gets it and runs back and it's like well, what are you doing must drive yeah. a bit of nuts watching the ball sail over his head he's like I'm literally in the team for you yeah. to pass the ball to me <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I guess the biggest concern for Ross would be that um, with what well, we now mid March, the the best defense still probably hasn't emerged yet because there's much of a muchness because they are 
there are inconsistencies and you're going to have those peaks and troughs on you but mm-hmm. I guess the likes of Luton and Barnsley have settled teams I don't think because they've been playing together for two or three years certainly in Luton's case I mm. think we got upset a little bit by injuries more than, than a lot of things it's, it's, it's sort of yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's yeah. unfair to call them all mm-hmm. too harshly because what, what would be your best four then across the best four yeah. yeah that's a good question I think if everyone's fit and there's no other complications with anything else I'd probably have Oviedo left back he gets ahead of James quite easily for me I think a right back at all nine just because of the fact that he's been a revelation there and then as a centre back pairing I'd probably have Baldwin and Dunn to be honest, I think while I think that's where I would hope that Baldwin's experience, coupled with his ability in this division, would complement Dunn and his sheer physicality. Baldwin's a bit slight, I think, compared to the average the average centre back. I have the same issue with Flanagan, but I think with those two there, their weaknesses can be sort of covered by the other strengths. Baldwin's experience covers Dunn's perhaps, you know, uncertainties, while Dunn's physicality covers for maybe that which Baldwin lacks I think that for me is the strongest back line what do you guys think Johnny? Um, I agree with that one to be fair well actually I will have one change I will say Flanagan and um, Baldwin mm-hmm. and then the same right back and left back yeah, Oviedo and uh, 09 definitely in there but um, yeah I mean as I say it's it's again the centre backs is the best of a bad bunch almost mm-hmm. but yeah that's what I'd go for Christopher? Uh, Denver Hume left back uh, Luton 09 right back and I think I'd probably go with Baldwin and Dunn I'd, I think Baldwin and Flanagan had the best run of games as a centre-back mm-hmm. pairing and you could actually see when you had two players together who understood how to play centre-half together and they had that chemistry and it worked Right, it was great mm-hmm. but then we couldn't win a header and a set piece yeah. so Dunn sort of has to play because he's I mean He's frustrating because he doesn't even win enough headers. It's, it's sort of like mm. he's the, that's why he gets picked is because he's supposed to be the aerial threat and he he, he does it enough to get by. And last two two games before Wickham, he did all right with it. But that's it's that's the that's the difficult one. I'd think Baldwin and then someone who can head a ball next to him. Right, Rich. Yeah, I'd go fully fit and they've been playing for a while. I'll go Hume. Hume, Baldwin, Flanagan, 09, I think, will be my back four. And I'm hoping that Baldwin will be much better mm-hmm. for his spell out the side and a bit of a rest, and he'll come back mm. and he'll just boss it for the next two months. Mm. That's my aim. It's interesting to see what his mentality is. Yeah. I hope. I th- well, he's, a, he's a good character, I think, Jack Baldwin. So mm-hmm. I think I think it would have probably helped him a little bit as well, t- being taken out of the firing line a bit. If he comes back and makes another mistake in his first game, then we'll back yeah. to square one. Mm-hmm. I wonder what Jack Ross thinks of him. Because he dropped him very quickly, I thought. Yeah. I think other players have made mistakes, and he's not mm-hmm. dropped them as quickly as he dropped. Yeah, Baldwin. fair point. Yeah. Well, it's interesting what you said about Oviedo, and we'll come to that in a sec. We've just got two more answers here, two more that were being picked out. So Colin Robson says that Brian Oviedo is his best international player and played in the World Cup. Should play whenever he's fit, which isn't often enough in his opinion. And Dave says, bit of a devil's advocate, one to the entire question. Not sure we have best or worst defenders. The fact is, they are League One quality, and that means inconsistency and prone to errors. If any have a good day, they can look like Beckenbauer in this division. Have a bad day, and they don't get a game for CM Red Star. Spot on. Yeah, I can't argue with that. To be honest, yeah. yeah. I, I, I think there's a lot of truth in what Dave says there. I think I think you can lambast a certain defender all day if he's had three bad games, but ultimately, it, 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 there's a lot of times where players just go up and down, and that happens in other areas of the pitch. Yeah, Maguire yeah. comes in in and out of the fold. Yeah. There are very few players really that we have that have been consistently good all season. McLaughlin, there's one led bitter so far. You know, there's 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 not really many. 
McGeady. Yeah, Ma- well, McGeady by nature is an inconsistent player. Well, it's one of them things, isn't it? Like they're at this level because that's the level that they're suited to, I guess. So someone like Will Grigg, we've said many times he's uh, good in League One in the Championship, not so much. And it's like, well, that's because it's his. This is his level. Yeah. You know, and we're going to expect have a lot of mistakes. And I think a lot of the teams are quite an equal. So that was picking there. I think the teams are a lot are quite equal in terms of quality. So like we're near the top, but I don't think that means that we're like much better than a lot of the other teams are just having a good season because mm-hmm. it's the league we're in yeah mm-hmm. I think yeah. that's fair enough so uh, before we move on we're going to ask him, uh, you a few questions Richard about about your history covering Sunderland yeah, and your yeah. other your other accolades as a journalist but just want to ask you and Chris one other question In when you two chose your back fours I found it quite interesting that you two both chose Denver Hume because I think he probably wouldn't I mean he wouldn't have been my first choice by, by a long shot really not that I've got anything against the lad I just think that I just think it would it, be quite a left field choice for me. What do you think he offers that perhaps Brian Oviedo doesn't? Um, well, I think he's better defensively. Yeah, right. <laughs> Defending. Uh, I'm a big fan of him, Denver Hume. Actually, I've been really impressed with him and the chances he's had this season. And mm-hmm. I, I think he's very highly rated within the club as well. So if they can tie him down to a new contract, um, is it just a Josh situation? Yeah, <laughs> needs to stay um, fit. And it, yeah, and obviously staying fit as well. He's had a couple of injuries as well, but mm-hmm. I think he's got bags of potential. Don't you? Right. It's for me. It's like it, it's he's he's potential. He's a young player who we've got a chance to make a very very good player out of. Mm-hmm. And if you're not playing him every single game, you don't play is, is a minute wasted of his like growth. Now you'll probably throw back that at this stage of the season you can't have potential. You'd need guaranteed performers every week, which I think is true. But I'd um, argue he will perform as well. Yeah, yeah, um, I would, I would, I would certainly. I mentioned it earlier he, that his, his attacking ability is very good as well. Like when he does oh, get the ball, it is. He it takes is. on his man. He's full of confidence. But it's mm-hmm. that like sort of blind confidence that you have when you're young, or is it just the fact you genuinely just believe in his, himself because mm-hmm. he should. He's mm-hmm. in League One, especially mm-hmm. you'd back him to get past any. Um, any right back he comes up against. Yeah, he, he's nice to watch. He, he can he takes on he takes on the defenders in in a very similar way to how McGee takes the money. He just sort of runs at them, mm. sort of like say taps the ball around, taps the ball, but taps the ball around his toes a bit, and then just sort of sees where he can get with it. it, it it's good to watch. I'd, I'd like to see more of him. I'm just the biggest compliment you could pay Denver Hume, and the one he would appreciate most is that he plays a lot like Julio Waga. Um, yeah. You can tell it's you can tell it was his favourite player growing up because he plays like Julio Walker. <laughs> he gets the ball. He, he's strong going forwards, and he also defends really well. Yeah, I think you're right. Got no no qualms. He's Definitely. earning that thirty three on his back. All right. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. So we'll ask you, as we said, a few questions. Then, Rich. So, just first of all, as we said at the start, you're a writer for the Sunderland Echo. What got you into journalism? Where did you start, and how did you get to where you are now? Um, I wanted to be a journalist probably since the age of about 13 when I was at uh, secondary school. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm from Hartlepool, um, so I went to secondary school in Hartlepool and started writing for the just the secondary school like newsletter, which was once a week, um, doing sport. I always wanted to be a sports journalist, um, and then it cut and kind of grew from there. Mm-hmm. Various work ex uh, placements, Hartlepool Mail, um, did a I actually had a week a weekly radio show on the hospital radio in Hartlepool called Sport Sound every Monday seven or nine. Did anyone listen? No. <laughs> I don't think as many listeners. I didn't, um, I didn't frequent Hartlepool Hospital as often no. as I. As I might have I don't think as many listeners, but it was good fun. Um, and then I went to university. I didn't actually do a journalism degree as such. Um, I just did like a, it was like a media degree, but it didn't actually give the qualifications. So I did the bolt on 
um, six month course at Darling, the NCTJ, um, which is what I'd always intended to do. Did that and then joined the Hartlepool Mail in news, did that for seven years and I probably stayed in news longer than I thought I would, but I quite enjoyed it in the end. Mm-hmm. Um, started covering Hartlepool United, um, did that for two and a bit seasons, I think, and then from then, uh, Sunderland, um, towards the end of uh, Dick's reign, started a big Sam. And then ever since, yeah, pretty much full time Sunderland, and now I'm um, sport digital manager. So I've got like a range of responsibilities across our three titles and three websites and Shields Gazette and Hartlepool Mail as yeah. well. But still cover Sunderland home on away. Good stuff with uh, Phil Smith. Our right yeah. main yeah, writer. Yeah. I'm sure you all know. So, oh, yeah, absolutely. That's, yeah, yeah, that's yeah. the background. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. So, what's been? Do you think? your most interesting story from your time covering either Sunderland or Hartlepool your most interesting time from being a match reporter uh, or anything of the like I mean there's been obviously huge huge peaks and troughs of Sunderland oh. um, that week it was incredible under Big Sam the, the Chelsea and Everton game that was a phenomenal week when they stayed up um, I mean broadly covering the relegation has been has been grim you know what I mean it's been a mm-hmm. tough time obviously for, for you fans and um, writers alike going to every home game knowing what the end result was probably going to be um, but in terms of the probably most enjoyable um, I'm a Hartlepool fan so I covered the great escape for Hartlepool I don't know if you guys remember yeah I do yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. under Ronnie Moore there were oh, I don't know I forget what it was 10 I ended 12 up on points I a train with some Hartlepool fans that day it was a very very loud experience yeah yeah <laughs> 10-12 points adrift in, in March and they stayed up and it was just a phenomenal effort, and that mm. was a that was a big high for me. Yeah. So. Yeah. Um, Sunderland wise, hopefully the highlight will be the Checker Trade Trophy final on uh, March the thirty first. Oh yeah, yeah, that'll be a, yeah <laughs> a, a momentous that, occasion. Be a momentous occasion. Yeah. yeah. Um, but in all seriousness, if they can win a trophy this year and and win promotion as well, then I think that'll be a, <laughs> a tremendous success. Really. A absolutely, tremendous absolutely. success, given given where the club was last whatever May. Mm-hmm. Um, and everything that's happened under Ellis Short towards the end and stuff mm-hmm. to, to where the club is now is um, yeah it's been phenomenal really yeah so you said there that you've um, you joined and you started running for the Echo since was it Advocates um, um, inception to the present basically um, yeah pretty much it was towards the end of, of his reign right um, I was still doing a little bit of Hartlepool then bit of a crossover and then pretty much fully on Sunderland from just before Dick left to, to big, yeah from until now yeah yeah so countless mm. managers <laughs> yeah. in a short space of time. Mm. So you'll have been in contact with Jack Ross, obviously, but yeah. have you been in contact with every other Sunderland manager before him? Uh, since covering Sunderland? Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Who was the most interesting, for whatever reason, to just sort of liaise with? Uh, Jack Ross and Chris Coleman, I would say. Right. The two, um, two best to get on with, two best to work with from a professional level. Mm-hmm. Um, Chris Coleman's a real character. Um I think you'll have obviously seen the Netflix documentary yeah. that I came across. Simon Grayson um, was a was a good guy, you know, prob- slightly out of his depth, perhaps a bit of a rabbit in the headlights. I think possibly problems at the club were obviously huge. Um, I think Chris Coleman was the right guy at the wrong time. If you put Chris Coleman in and then summer gone, I think you would probably be having a similar season. I think under him as we are under Jack Ross, right? Um, and Big Sam is pretty much what you would expect. Yeah, how yeah. You, uh, how you see him, yeah. Uh, David Moyes didn't. Um, you can say he was crap. It's fine. Yeah, it's yeah. Okay. I, mean, I always got the impression of David Moyes that he felt that he was doing the club a favour in a little bit in oh, terms yeah. of being here. You know, thank what God I mean? you said that. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. I think we all agree with that one. Right? Yeah, sure. Whereas managers since 
have seen it as the a huge club and huge potential. Mm-hmm. Dave Moyes very I could be wrong, but he rarely sort of talked it up, did he? No. He was often, you know, obviously second game, whatever it was, second, third game of the second season. Second game. Second game, relegation fodder. Well, that's just going to filter through, isn't it? Yeah. All yeah. levels of the club. You'd like to remind us of his uh, evidence success. Yeah, that as well. That as well. But I think since then, the managers have been, uh, Simon Grayson apart, have been good appointments. Um, obviously, didn't work out for Chris Cohen for a variety of reasons with the takeover and stuff. And now Jack Ross is a... Really mm-hmm. promising manager, I think, and I think he's got a big, big future. Yeah. Could, could yeah. you see someone like Jack Ross? Um, obviously, we've gone through managers every, like maybe one or two a season. Yeah. Could you see Jack Ross being here for a long term? Yeah, for sure. Yeah, uh, hopefully. Anyway, yeah, it's a funny one, isn't it? Because uh, I mean, if if he gets up, if Sunan get up this season, then yeah, I think he'll certainly be a manager for a while. If he doesn't, then it's a funny one. Isn't it? I guess ultimately he's he's failed because he came and he said he wanted to win the league. Promotion was always his aim. If the club doesn't go up this season, then. It's obviously a black mark against his name, yet I still think he's done a phenomenal job from where the club yeah, was. I don't, I don't think you can get rid of the squad. So I would hope that he certainly stays, regardless of what happens this season. Mm-hmm. And I would hope that he was here for many years to come. Yeah. yeah. But football's a funny yard. It is. I mean, you've just seen West Brom there sack Darren Darren Moore because <sighs> they were fourth in the league. Yeah, that is an outrageous thing. That league. I'd like to think that we're not like that. You know, that we're not going to see. Okay, we're not. We're not winning the league by a country mile in March yeah. so we're going to sack the manager I don't think we're that deluded I think we understand that we've got to make a wholesale change there's going to be stumbling blocks we're playing against teams that have a lot less money but have a lot more time together as a team yeah. there is going to be a challenge it's a, it's a new experience for everyone involved and it feels like he's building it, it does yeah and that's look, the thing yeah. Yeah. Like, yeah. and Stuart Donald loves him I think that goes in his favour Donald mm-hmm. really, yeah, yeah, really yeah. Yeah. rates oh, yeah, Jack Ross yeah. mm-hmm. I mean obviously last time you know they brought in 12 players all those 12 players aren't going to be a success no. just no, that's impossible. Laws, laws of average, but but the vast majority have been. Mm-hmm. Probably yeah. one or two haven't been mm-hmm. for a variety of reasons. But I think they've recruited well. I know it's not just Jack Ross, obviously the recruiting team as well. But um, technically, I think he's good. Um, recruits well, mm-hmm. speaks very well, um, and cherishes the chance. I think he's got here to. Um, it's the fact that his assistant James Fowler moved. Upsticked. Moved yeah, yeah, the yeah. Says a lot. Yeah, the that's, whole that's what you want from your manager. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So I suppose just one last question, Richard, before we just sort of round things off by uh, predicting what we think will happen in the Barnsley game. You said there that two of your most interesting characters to deal with were Jack Ross and Chris Coleman. How do they compare and contrast? Because I can't imagine that they're really similar people in a no, lot of ways. No, yeah, you, yeah, you're right. They're, they're quite different. Um, I think Jack Ross, when you speak to him, is is very calm, um, cool, um, has a self-confidence about him given what he's already achieved in his managerial career in a couple of years he obviously did really well in Scotland and got the chance here um, but really passionate um, he knows the club uh, sorry knows football inside out um, and he's quite an interesting character obviously you know the children's books he's read and the, the academic work he does yeah. outside of football that side mm-hmm. of things and then Chris Coleman I'd say he's probably more more outwardly passionate. You know what I mean? He's soundbite wise and quote wise is probably a bit bit more readable, I guess. Mm. A bit more passionate. Everything but, he said in that voice just sounded great. Yeah, it <laughs> did. Yeah, and um, but yeah, he was uh, as, as I say, I think he was the right manager of Sun and just just at the wrong time. Yeah, there was a lot of problems last year, and mm-hmm. should they have stayed up? Yeah, obviously. But mm-hmm. 
Yeah. I can't, somebody did the maths the other day about last season a goalkeeper ever is about how many points it cost us and mm-hmm. it actually boggles your mind I think it's yeah. like 18 points or something yeah, ridiculous well mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah. and if you've listened so far for 1 minute 17 seconds your reward was my attempt at the South Wales accent so yeah that's great <laughs> but anyway let's round so but yeah well thank you very much for coming in the studio today Richard it's been pleasure. a pleasure having well, you in you yeah, yeah thank you very much so just to round things off let's just look ahead to the Barnsley game what so I'd like could each of you give me just a brief summary of how it's going to go if you were going to look into a crystal ball and what do you think the score will be? Johnny, we'll start with you. Okay, so I'm just glad that we got our poor game out of the way on Saturday. I think I'd much prefer that we've played badly in this uh, game of the weekend than on Tuesday night. So since we're quite inconsistent with you know playing well and then not playing well, I think we'll win 1-0. I said this before on the previous podcast, I'm sticking to that 1-0 Sunderland and I think we'll play very well this time round. Okay, Chris. I think it's going to be the most stressful game. Oh yeah, with the season, without a shadow of a doubt. I'm really not like I'm looking forward to it. and I'm excited, but I'm also not looking forward to it. Like I'm really nervous. Yeah. Um, my head says we'll probably draw the game, one-one or even nil-nil, mm-hmm. end that streak. But uh, my heart says we'll uh, we'll sneak a two-one win, a dramatic winner at some point. Yeah. Who's gonna, who? Who gets your winner? Oh, I think Ledbit is going to bang one in from 35 <laughs> oh, yards. That. that shot against Wickham's going to go in this time. Uh, I think it'll be a similar game to the home game. I think it'll suit Sunderland's, uh, the way Sunderland want to play far more than they did than playing Wickham on Saturday. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think it'll be a huge improvement, hopefully, and I think Sunderland will win and Will Grigg will score the winner 2-1. Right, yeah. It's a much more sensible guess. <laughs> yeah, well, I think... Oh, I, you go, you let, get your money on Ledbit. <laughs> I think to an extent, I think I go both, both uh, Rich and Chris there. I think... 2-1 is my likely scoreline. I think we're going to go toe-to-toe with Barnsley in a way that we don't go with many teams. Well, we don't get the chance. <laughs> no, no, there won't be much time wasting against this lot. I think they'll, we'll be up, I think they'll be coming at us and we'll be going at them. It could be a very entertaining game and for that reason, an extremely stressful one, as you've said. <laughs> but again, I'm, I'm going to, you know what? No, I'm going to sneak a 3-2 win. I think I think it could I think it could get a bit messy I think <laughs> I think I think our defence have been a, a bit uncertain recently but at the same time I think we're very clinical I think I'm going to go with three two I think I'm going to go with f- who's going to get my goals Aidan McGeady will get one Greg will get one Jimmy Dunn yeah yeah <laughs> Jimmy you know you know what go on Jimmy you can have that one Jimmy with a bullet header to, to open it and then the other two to get some rising at the back stick with no key for Mubert and Mark oh yeah oh yeah, oh, yeah. yeah, big yeah Jimmy that's Dunn. true him, him not being around will be a big help for us as well Cameron McGeehan's out as well which yeah. is uh, obviously a benefit to us yeah it's sort of equivalent to us losing Honeyman I suppose doesn't seem to be stopping them though, does it? Still, no 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 still picking up results <sighs> and it won't stop us Max Power by the way will score the winning goal for me Oh, okay. In the one 0 win. Max I thought about a four power, power. It's it's going to be some sort of low drive from about yeah. twenty five yards out. Daisy Cutter. Yeah. He's due one, isn't he? He's due one. He is. He Max is. Power's going to go full power, and he's going to score. <laughs> uh, yeah. Yeah. Can see it now. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> right. God, I'm nervous. <laughs> uh, right. Well, I suppose we'll leave that there for today. So thank you very much for tuning in to this week's edition of the Roker Report, and we will see you this time next Sunday when we're recording, where we will tell you all about that fantastic win that will definitely happen. And I've definitely not jinxed it by being so confident on this outro. So thank you very much, Richard, for coming in. Pleasure. Thank you very much, Johnny. Thanks very much, Alex. So yeah, that'll... <laughs> <laughs> There's nobody else here. No, no, no. no yeah. Thank you. Thank you, Chris, for your return at the studio. It's been a pleasure. Your life needs a laugh track, laugh track like Yeah, <laughs> it does. It does. But not, not, not in a good way, in the way that like every time I do something... I just get laughed at. <laughs> that that kind of laugh track, but yeah.
Some exchange betting companies run short-lived promotions, like months-long offers of low commission. At BetDAG, we wanted to change the way we did things, so we set our commission at 2% permanently. That's 2% on football, horse racing, golf, almost any sport. 2%. That's just one way that BetDAG is changing for the better. For the better, like you. BetDAG, the 2% commission exchange. Over 18s only, please gamble responsibly. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.